The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Split stance minutes from the Fed's July meeting paint a hawkish picture while two officials break from consensus, pushing for rates to remain unchanged. The U.S. 10-year Treasury yield hits a 15-year high, while equities decline as investors digest the latest FOMC minutes amid a run of strong economic data. Well, we're all on intervention watch, the yen slumping to a new nine-month low, sparking concerns that the BOJ may need to step in. This as the Japanese monthly exports fall for the first time in over two years. And in corporate news, target sales slide, ending a six-year streak of revenue growth for the retailer as consumers cut back. We're going to get more retail detail when Walmart posts its own numbers today and an exclusive interview with the company's CFO. The latest Federal Reserve minutes show officials are split over the pace of inflation and interest rate hikes, with some still warning more price pressures may be ahead. This evening, as Chairman Jerome Powell said after the July meeting that the central bank no longer expects to see the U.S. tip into recession. Now, in its July minutes, the Fed said high inflation and a tight labour market prompted, quote, most participants to see significant upside risk to inflation, which could require further tightening of monetary policy. And the minutes also underscored some officials' desire to push pause on rate hikes and allow the effects of the Fed's 11 hikes to take effect, saying, quote, participants generally noted a high degree of uncertainty regarding the cumulative effects on the economy of past monetary policy tightening. The market reaction, we certainly saw it on the bond market and the 10-year Treasury yield, we've uh, rallied to the highest level since uh, 2008. So taking us right back to the, the last uh, financial crisis, as you can see on that yield, 2.29 is where we're travelling this morning. So the market uh, very much eyeing the escalation that we've seen here. In terms of the elevated rate that we've got, uh, that 10-year, don't forget it, at the Friday close last week, 4.16 is what we saw on those levels. So we've certainly escalated over the course of a number of sessions at this point and at the two-year as well. In terms of US markets, looking at that 10-year yield are very much in focus across the trade. You can see where is a reversal for the major boards, particularly again, the tech-heavy NASDAQ weighing up the cost of capital and looking at that interest rate story. You can see 1.1 down on the NASDAQ trade. Amazon, one of the stocks Hard hit uh, is a tech stock, is a consumer stock, a bit of both these days. And that was the stock leading both the S&P and the Nasdaq lower in session. We had the Dow travelling off by 180 points or half of 1%. Let's take a look at Target, which posed today's second quarter earnings beat. Even as sales fell short of estimates, the big box retailer cut its profit expectations for the year. But the stock still finished more than 3% higher, as you can see in the trade, uh, the pop there. Meanwhile, TJX posted a 23% rise in its profits, the reaction the stock up more than 4%.
As for the dollar trade, well, the dollar topped the 146 mark versus the Japanese yen. This uh, raising expectations that the Bank of Japan may jump in to intervene once again. The BOJ has adjusted its yield curve control policy last month, expanding the range. It will allow the 10-year government bond yields to fluctuate by 50 basis points either side. But effectively what we saw today, uh, a fairly weak outing on some of those Japanese numbers that uh, we are seeing a very mixed export picture. Again, they're flagging up concerns in the real economy that we've now got pressure coming through from the Chinese uh, import picture of the amount of exports going out of Japan into China, although the US still remaining somewhat resilient. So some geopolitics in the mix, but also concerns about a draining of demand impacting Japan at this point. To the WTI picture and uh, Brent, this morning a slight drift on both of those trades, given again the focus on just what the strength of the macro looks like at this stage. Gold defensive trade is in focus, although you'll notice from recent trades in recent days, we have slipped below that 1900 level. To the Asian markets, uh, let's just take a close up look at uh, how the reaction is. Now, we mentioned uh, what uh, has been playing out on the economy. Uh, just strong focus this week, again, on China, the numbers that have been rolling through. Still concerns about the property market, the unemployment rate for the youth market, the level of growth that can actually be achieved this year. All sorts of red flags from China at this point. And just to Japan, that export number falling in July for the first time in two and a half years, dragged down by those concerns around some of the oil uh, numbers and also chip making equipment. So uh, the fall in exports 0.3 of a percent July, the Japanese market that's had a lot of good news so far this year, just under some pressure in the session today, Steve. Super duper, Karen. Thank you very much indeed for that. Well, despite these warnings from the Fed, markets are pricing in an 86% chance of the Fed keeping rates on hold at its next meeting in September. That is down from 90%. November's meeting remains more in the balance with markets seeing a 40% chance of the Fed hiking. That is up from 30% previously. Uh, let's get to a man who has followed these markets for many, many years. Mike Gallagher is the Managing Director of Macro and Strategy at Consortium Economics. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, it's not Consortium, is it? I don't know why they wrote that. It's Continuum. But never mind. Uh, we'll beat someone later for that, Mike. Um, Mike, um, I just want to go back to that board that Karen was looking at as well. And, and the thing that I think stands out to me is, and that the market I don't think is appreciating is cumulative effects and the uncertainty. Two factors which the market seems very confident that Everything, oh, well, the rate right hikes are done uh, and we can just move on. And actually, valuations are great at these levels. And the US economy is going to have this uh, widening path to a soft landing, if a landing at all. I'm hearing some language from my own CNBC colleagues in the US banging the drum for more equity market rallies. I'm just not that confident. Are you? I think it, I mean, uncertainty is a kind of a key word that um, is there. And I think if you actually look at the range of data, you get some divergence in terms of um, the economic uh, data. The money and credit data are sort of um, suggesting there's um, going to be a more significant slowdown. The, some of the other data um, is actually consistent with slow growth. Um, so there is an uncertain picture um, there. And I think as we get into the autumn, you're going to see monetary policy from, from what we've seen cumulatively continue to bite. So one of the big stories is that since the Fed met, 10-year yields have gone up 50 basis points. That's going to feed through into the US economy in many different uh, ways. So I think it's, you're not going to see the Fed um, hiking in, in September because of that and also because of the China story mm. and because of the um, inflation data which we've had in the US, which on an underlying basis has been controlled. Um, but there is still a risk that um, unless we really get core inflation at 0.2 or below consistently, 
the Fed may feel that they need to do one more um, hike. Um, but I'd agree with you. I mean, our view on the U.S. equity market is we're going to be 4,200 by the end of the year. Oh, okay. If we consider what the prospects are for the 10-year yield now in future, there is a view that we could be just high for longer on that yield as well. And we think about all the stimulus that's been thrown into the U.S. economy, where the growth is going to stay intact, where the inflation is going to hover around for a lot longer. That can impact the short term, which then impacts the long term. Is it right to now anticipate that we're just setting up for a much higher long-term yield on the 10-year? Um, I think for the next couple of months, yes, but not into next year. And the reason is that for the next couple of months, we're left with Fed policy being very restrictive, the yield curve, which is currently inverted, 10-year yields below the Fed funds rate. Um, and that, that's kind of one of the factors I think that's going to dominate. But once we get into next year, we think that inflation will come down enough. The Fed will want to avoid a recession and will actually get 75 basis points of rate cuts. That will bring short-term yields down and it will also have um, a sympathetic effect at the long end of the curve. So we see 10-year um, yields actually coming back down below 4%. Um, by the end of 24, we see 3.9%, for example. For the reality of this yield, though, at the elevated rate that we've seen now in markets, is that it can cause volatility across stocks, on bonds and on housing. So is that a feature of the market, at least short term? We're going to have to weather some volatility on some of these asset classes. I think once we get into the, the autumn, there'll definitely be a feed-through effect from the rise in 10-year um, yields that we've seen since um, July and given the sort of the cumulative effects. So we, re we really have some bites still coming from the tightening, um, and I think the markets are a bit too complacent at the moment. I think the markets are a lot too complacent, Mike, as well. And I noticed people like Michael Burry are getting more concerned. Uh, everyone's, uh, the, the, the commentary was rubbish on that, by the way. They were talking about Michael Burry takes a $1.6 billion bet against the market. He didn't. He bought puts. And anyone who knows the first thing about anything knows that if you buy puts, depending on the ratio, and you have an underlying portfolio, you create a synthetic call. You do not create necessarily a downside bet. It depends on the volume of those puts. But um, the nuance is lost on too many people, but not on this channel. But the point being here is, you mentioned China in your first answer. I asked you about the US, you mentioned China. I am really, really worried that there isn't going to be the kind of stimulus from the authorities that's going to get China out of its current funk as well. I, I think China is in... Uh, a much worse situation than many people are admitting. Only, uh, and I referenced that with Karen at the wall talking about the, uh, the Japanese exports. The reason why they were down was nothing to do with the US. US exports were fantastic. It was the fact that sales to China have gone through the floor. Well, I think if you look at China, either you're, you've got a 3 to 4% growth story in 24, 25, or even worse, it could be 1 to 3% um, in 24, 25 um, because of a hard landing. I think in reality, the Chinese authorities will get increasingly aggressive, but there's an awful lot of um, problems in the financial system um, as well as in the property sector, and that's a real, real drag on, uh, on growth. So we're looking for growth down to 4% um, next year. It will slow even further, uh, and that's with policy stimulus and policy uh, action. Unless it's timely, you can end up in a real mess. Chinese uh, the population does not have the same kind of social safety nets that the West has as well. They have this drive to get out of a middle income trap as well. And if they have one to three percent growth, I would suggest they're potentially going to fail to um, get a tick on the box of the second point, i.e. get to a certain level of income before the economic growth dries up as well. 
given the fact that they're stopping so much data now, and I thought it was just the odd piece of data, you know, for instance, the youth unemployment, the FT did some brilliant work, shout out to the Financial Times, about the tens of thousands of pieces of data that just aren't available anymore. Are things a lot worse? I mean, are, okay, I'll put it on the table. Is China actually growing? I think it is actually sort of um, still growing and um, there is still some positive momentum because there's still some reopening um, that's evident in, in the retail sales figures and the breakdown of the retail sales figures. Um, and there is some um, further momentum elsewhere in terms of investment in uh, renewables and other sectors. So there is certainly momentum there. But remember that for, uh, for China, both economically and politically, they really need to get to sort of um, 4 5% um, growth to avoid social discontent and tensions. And, but, but, but hang on, at the bottom end of what you just said, 1% to 3%, they're not going to get that. What does that tension look like? I, I think it's pr primarily economic and financial sort of uh, tensions. So that's um, a deeper um, shakeout in uh, the property sector, but it's also um, rescues in the financial sector for the weaker players. The largest players in China, and they're internationally verified, are actually fairly good, fairly strong. The weaker players um, are not necessarily strong. I think there's going to be forced takeovers, consolidation, um, government rescues, recapitalization. So that's going to be the story over the next 12 months. You know, there's been a view on the markets that you don't want to write off China because they could just come up with some massive stimulus program and then it's back in the game. But uh, the FT also has some numbers that they've crunched around the Hong Kong Connect Stock Connect trading scheme and they're saying effectively on the calculations that they've done, investors have completely reversed the 7.4 billion in net purchases of Chinese equities that they had launched following the July 24 pledge from the Politburo uh, effectively to increase policy support. So that optimism that was reflected in the stock trade, that there would be stimulus coming, has now been taken away. Do you think that's the right move, that we should just not bank on stimulus, don't place those bets on hopes that uh, authorities will support the Chinese market? So one of the things that the Chinese authorities are concerned about is that um, the overall debt level gets um, so high, including government um, debt, that um, you end up in a Japanese type of um, situation, namely that um, the debt levels kind of um, push the economy into a lost decade, and they don't want that. So you're likely to get measured fiscal stimulus, maybe a quarter to half percent of GDP, and that should be in the next couple of weeks. Um, but you're not going to get sort of um, 2009-style huge fiscal stimulus programs. Mike, fair to say it's not the easiest trading environment at this point globally. As you look at your portfolio, what do you think uh, is the right way to, to play this now at this stage? Um, I think for the next couple of months, um, you need to be cautious. I think there is um, a correction which is um, underway at the present moment in time and which will go into the early part of uh, the autumn. So raise for cash? Um, I, I think there's a bias certainly in, the, in that direction. But the, the outlook for 24 should be better because we'll get rate cuts and that's going to you know, help the market. So for example, we're looking for 4,700 by the end of 24 for the, wow. uh, the US equity market. So it's a, it's a correction rather than a, than a deeper um, sell-off and then um, you know, rate, rate cuts will then help. 
We have to leave it there. Um, but lovely to see you. Thanks for joining us nice and early as well. Um, he hasn't even had his breakfast yet, so uh, but thanks for coming in before that as well. Uh, Mike Gallagher, who is Managing Director and of Macro and Strategy at, and I'm pleased to say we've changed the name back to where it should be, Continuing Economics. Thank you very much indeed for that. Coming up on the show, uh, Echon, we got that one right, reports a 200 million net loss for the first half of the year, but sees net flows slowing down. We'll be chatting with the CEO, Lard Frisa, uh, in just a few moments' time. Later in the hour, Japan and South Korea putting aside their differences to work on a defense pact with the United States. We'll be discussing how U.S. defense stocks have fared under the current geopolitical and market backdrop. And later in the show, we'll be hearing from the CEO of Payments, CFO of Payments Group, Adyen, uh, Ethan Tandowski, as the firm posts quarterly earnings. That interview coming up at 9.30 Central European time. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Echon has posted a, a net loss of 199 million euros in the first half, flagging weaker sales momentum in asset management and its UK retail business. But it does say that it's seeing strong sales growth in the United States as well as China and Brazil. So it's a very nuanced picture. I'm delighted to say to talk us through the numbers. Lad Frisa joins us, the CEO of Echon. Sir, always a pleasure seeing you. Thank you for joining us. So how would you typify the most recent numbers, sir? Yes, good morning, and thank you for having me back on the show. Uh, today, we've announced a solid set of half-year results, with our operating result of the company up 3%, with operating capital generation up 13%, uh, with uh, a good sales momentum in key areas, strong capital positions, which allow us to increase our interim dividend by more than 25% to 40 cents per share. Uh, so, uh, in addition, we've seen made a lot of progress strategically with the transformation of Aegon. We have been able to close our large transaction with ASR in the Netherlands. We have closed also the uh, divestment of our Central Eastern and European business. We were able to uh, make uh, acquisitions in the asset management area where we strengthened uh, uh, in the last half year our CLO platform. We also extended our asset management partnership with La Banque Postale Asset Management in France. We've strengthened the UK business with the, with the uh, extending of the partnership with uh, Nationwide. Uh, so all in all, we're making a lot of progress also with the transformation of the group. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to focus on a positive, actually, which is unlike me normally. But I mean, this big increase in Trans-America new life sales, uh, driven by mid-sized retirement plans, increasing almost 70%. Um, obviously, you've got a very large set of agents for WFG now as well. Do you want to go into some of the detail on why the US is such a key market and doing so well? Well, the US Trans-America is really an icon of the life insurance industry in the United States. 
And we have uh, launched plans a couple of weeks ago in London on our Capital Markets Day on how we wish to grow that business in the coming years to become the uh, life insurance and retirement franchise for middle market America. This is a very large, uh, unserved part, relatively unserved part of the population in, in, in the U.S. and gives a unique opportunity for us to grow. We have, indeed, a very large network of agents, WFG, 70,000 agents, which are growing in numbers. And they are actually the motor, the driving force behind the 17% sales growth that we have seen in the traditional life insurance business in the first half of the year. Our second prong in middle market America's uh, uh, market segment is our retirement business, which uh, we also focus on the mid-market of retirement plans in the United States. And indeed, the first half of the year was very strong with more than 30% uh, uptick in sales, which, and I must admit that as well, of course, was powered by one a very large deal that we did on a pool plan uh, of $1.7 billion in new written sales. So that was quite good. But we are on our way with our growth plans uh, for Transamerica, and we are uh, in fact, uh, making good early progress there. Now, the net loss that you were referring to, which I still owe you an answer for in, the, in your opening comment, is actually connected to this. Because at the Capital Markets Day in London, we announced that we would invest in that, in that business in, uh, in the United States to ensure that we can fund that growth plan for the coming years. And those investments that were announced at that point in time are now showing up uh, in our I4S results, and as a result, we're posting that uh, that net loss. But again, our operating results are very strong, and indeed, the commercial momentum is there. Lana, I can certainly see the operating result up a much firmer result this year versus the same time a year ago. And speaking of comparing and contrasting, it feels as though there's been a lot of self-help measures through the business at this stage. But what does the operating environment look like this year, say, versus last year? Well, the operating environment, let's first talk about uh, global growth. Uh, because we are an international insurance and asset management business with uh, businesses ranging from the U.S., the U.K., China, Brazil, uh, with insurance, retirement, and asset management uh, product lines. Uh, global growth, uh, I would say, is at this moment like running in the mud. So there is progress, but it, it's, it's, you know, step by step. And, you know, China certainly uh, is seeing uh, um, uh, issues with its economic growth path where the first quarter was decent, but the second quarter results that came out on economic growth were not, were not good at all. And there, as a result, we saw investor sentiment uh, weaker. And that has been, by the way, also the explanation for the fact that we saw 600 million of, of third-party outflows of our, uh, of our um, business in China on the asset management side. Uh, on the economic growth path in the, U in the U.S., obviously, we're still, still seeing a good, an, a good economic, a decent economic growth, also economic growth in other areas. But in Europe, it's, 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 it's lagging a bit. And then, of course, it's all about how the inflationary path and the response of, of central banks is going to uh, lead to, let's say, a hopefully soft landing uh, of the overall economic growth path, but that still uh, remains to be seen. And certainly, I think the developments in China are going to be quite important for that. You certainly paint an interesting picture there about how complex the environment is. When it comes to China... Remain focused. We'll remain focused. Well, we keep on seeing these numbers flow out of China. They are challenging from the property side, on the debt side, the growth side, deflation, concerns about what sort of spiral we could be seeing on prices at this stage. What's your biggest fear around the Chinese market? Well, growth. 
uh, and making sure that uh, that we that it is a very large economy. It's important that uh, we see economic growth in China, and and that it's supported by policy support from the uh, from the Chinese government. Where where there are some real doubts at the moment whether that's really going to happen. The, the Chinese government has had a clear target of 5% growth. In the, the, the first quarter, they made good progress, but the second quarter is clearly showing they're not making it. And uh, a, a lot needs to happen uh, to, to, to reach that objective. So what we, what we need is China to uh, show solid, robust growth, which is important for the overall, overall growth of the global economy. I'll ask you quickly, too, about the U.S. 10-year yield. We saw it spike yesterday. The market's concerned. We've gone right back to 2008 levels. What's your view on the pathway for those long-term yields stateside now? Um, if we look at, at, at rates, um, you know, let's, let's first look at, at labor markets, economic growth. Economic growth in the U.S. is still very decent. What we do see, and that's quite encouraging, is that the while labor uh, uh, markets are strong in the U.S., and especially in the U.K., in Europe, you see there is moderate cooling down, if you will, of the growth of employment. And that is hopefully going to help the inflationary pressures. Um, there, it's a bit of a, a toss coin for what uh, the ECB will do uh, when it comes to interest rate hikes or not. Uh, I think the market is pricing in for the U.S. that interest rates will will likely not be hiked in the near term. Um, so we need to see how that all will 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 weave into the overall uh, economic growth path in the U.S. and uh, what what it will mean to rates. There is some speculation and some expectation that in the course of 2024 we could in fact see a, a reversal of the 11 rate hikes that we've seen so far, and we could see some some uh, maybe maybe more easing measures, uh, but for the time being, I think it will be quite tight. Lard, thank you for putting that on the record. Uh, we appreciate your thoughts today. For joining us on the back of numbers, Lard Fiste with us, the CEO of Egon. Alcon has raised its full-year outlook on the back of strong sales in the second quarter. The Swiss eye care company saw net sales rise 9% and now expects full-year sales to grow in the range of 9 to 11%. The CEO, David Endicott, has told CNBC key regions continue to perform well, especially Japan and China. We saw a fairly robust uh, return uh, to growth for China. Um, it is comparing against a very light comparable from the prior quarter. So I think that's a little bit of what you have to read into that. But directionally, we saw people you know, back in the office, back in the clinics, uh, and back in the ORs. And so for us, it was a, a very good response. You know, We'll see how that takes shape going forward. But we do expect kind of a steady growth um, in the procedural environment for, uh, for surgical. And the consumer looks to be growing as well. Geographically, which has been your biggest point of, of uh, biggest source of demand? Well, I think right now in terms of growth, uh, Asia looks very positive to us. You know, Japan was a little bit slow uh, returning to growth. Uh, we had a very good quarter in Japan in the second quarter. China the same way. Uh, Korea was pretty solid for us, Southeast Asia. Um, so I, I think just generally, if you if you bundle that region together, uh, definitely is, is a positive outlook for us on a second quarter uh, going forward into the rest of the year. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.